Okay, so, didn't really want to ruin Christmas for anybody, but here goes. I've read all the signs and I've heard all the arguments, and especially after I read our text from Matthew about the visit of the wise men, um, we've all heard that Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that Jesus is not the reason for the season. Now, let me remind you or show you why I think that. So first, I need you to appreciate these wise men, and I need you to appreciate the havoc they are wreaking, first on themselves and on their life. You have to imagine, Matthew says these people come from a faraway place. Where? We don't know exactly. We don't know how far. But we do know it's a long way. And somewhere far, far away... These wise men, three of them, four of them, 30 of them, 300 of them, we don't know that either. They see something in the sky happening that makes them realize that God is doing something. Now, not only do they just see this going on in the cosmos and think, ooh, how pretty. They decide that they have to stop everything in their life and rearrange everything about their livelihoods, to go make a trip to follow whatever is happening. Now, I need you to appreciate that. Sometimes, you know, we wake up on Sunday morning, I'm kind of tired, I think I'll just sleep in. (laughs) Or if something's going on on TV. Or if maybe you partied a little too much last night. I don't know if I can make it at church. It's so late in the morning, 11 o'clock. But these gentlemen... Stopped everything in their life to follow, I don't know, whatever was happening in the sky. That's right. So not only is havoc being wreaked on their life, can you imagine, can you imagine the missus at home? You want to do what? You want to go where? Oh, with those guys, huh? Yeah, God stuff, huh? Mm-hmm. Not only are they wreaking havoc on their own lives, now as they've made the whole trip, as they've come all the way to where the star is beginning to show them where they need to be, now they're wreaking havoc on everyone else here in Jerusalem. Now these people who we think are probably not people of faith, the Christian faith at least, now they're coming and they're disturbing God's people. And I don't know if you know this, but God's people don't always like to be disturbed. We like things the way we like things. And we don't need some outsider coming and messing things up for us. Every new preacher says amen. So here come these guys. And you got to, again, I don't know how long they've been at it, but you got to imagine, man, they're tired, but they're also excited They're weary from this long journey. Who knows what they've seen along the way, but they realize that they are almost done. And they come into the city and they want to know, where is this little child that was born? Where is the king of the Jews that we want to go meet him so that we can go and worship him? And all the people of God say, you want to do what? Whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds like strange stuff to us. Matthew says all the people were terrified, but most notably, Herod was terrified. 
Now, he's terrified because in his book, he's the king of the Jews. And if you want to come over here talking about some king of the Jews and his name not being Herod and him being a little baby, you come here to see him, but you're not trying to see me. I've got a problem with that. Wise men. So Matthew tells us that Herod is, is fearful and the whole people with him. And I don't know exactly how that looks for a whole city to be terrified, but part of it I have to feel like maybe they know Herod all too well. And they know that if he's scared of something, this is going to be bad for us. They know that if he's nervous about something, we better watch out because who knows what that's going to mean for us. So these wise men come in and they're making trouble for the people of God. Now, Herod is frightened and there's there's I guess maybe it's another sermon in this, but I feel like um, this really shouldn't be an issue for Herod. Because as these wise men come in and they come looking for the Messiah, they come looking for the one who was born king of the Jews, it should not have been a shock to Herod unless he hadn't read his Bible lately. I I get the impression that Herod has skipped a few Sunday school classes that, that, you know, that it's probably an important thing to know where the Messiah is to be born. I think that Sunday school 101 for the Jewish faith, and I think that if that's something that was important to you, that you would know that answer. But as these wise men come in, they come seeking the one who was born, and Herod says, I don't even know what you're talking about. So he gathers all the scribes, all the teachers, all the Sunday school teachers, he brings Miguel in, he brings Robert in, he brings them all in, and he says, what's up with this Messiah stuff? Where is this supposed to go down? And I kind of wonder, knowing Sunday school teachers, I'm kind of wondering if they're thinking, well, if you had gone to my class, you'd have known. Kind of an important thing to not miss. But they tell him where he's going to be born. And then Herod, you can feel his anxiety. You can feel his fear. He doesn't just take that as an answer and leave it there. He brings the wise men to him and says, look, I want you to do all the work for me. I want you to go find him. I want you to search diligently on my behalf. I want you to put your hard work, sweat, and tears into finding this child for me. And I don't want to go look for him. What I'm going to go do is when you find him, I'm going to follow him so that I, too, can go worship him just like you. Now, we've all known Herod's story. We know that that's not what Herod wants to do at all. Herod wants to eliminate this threat. Herod wants to make sure that there is no one who could be considered the king other than himself. But I do think it's funny how this person of God wants these people who come from a faraway place who seem to know more about his faith than he knows. He wants them to go do all the work for him. Y'all with me? And that's another sermon about finding God yourself and doing your own study and prayer and diligently seeking out the will of God. But Herod is happy to say, you guys go do it and I'll just follow up when you're done. Amen. So he sends them and something amazing happens for these men. They see the child. 
Now, who knows how long it's been since Christ was born. I know in our manger scenes, you know, we have the baby there squirming and the wise men, they come. And so we're used to thinking that it all happens in one night. And maybe that's true, but most likely the wise men are coming sometime later. Maybe even up to two or three years later to where it's not baby Jesus, it's toddler Jesus. Terrible twos, Jesus. The wise men come and they realize that whatever they had been following, whatever had been leading them, was now stopped. And they were at the place where they needed to be. And they rejoiced. One, I think they rejoiced because the journey was over. They had made it. It was finally here and they were ready. But then I think also they realized that this child was a promise a promise of God that even they could recognize. And so the text says that they bowed before him, they worshiped, they gave him homage, and they gave him all these gifts as a way to recognize that this was indeed a king born for his people. Sometimes I don't think we consider the wise men enough and what they show us. Sometimes us here in the church, us insiders, we, we get closed and minded and, and we forget to look at our faith through the lens of someone who is not of our faith. It is these wise men who come from so very far away who seem to have a better idea of what's happening to us and for us when it's right under our noses and they're who knows how many miles away. They have a better sense of what God is doing than Herod or seemingly anyone else of the faith that day. So they rejoice. They rejoice right there. When I want you to um, look at, and I want you to be able to thank God for, is that maybe they're not in the manger, but they're at the house. They're with Mary and Joseph, and they're with the baby Jesus, and if there's other children by then, they're all there, and if there's family members or friends, they're all rejoicing. They're, they're telling them all about what they had seen and all about their journey and why they decided that they had to come. And I think we see in that a wonderful illustration of how your life and my life is supposed to look like because we affirm, we believe, and we confess that God is with us no matter where we go. That God is sitting right here. I don't know if he's sitting. Maybe he's jumping around. Who knows? But that God is with us right here, right now, as you sit quietly and wake up from your sermon nap. But we also affirm that as soon as we walk out that door, God is with us. We also affirm as soon as we get in that car and go to home, or we go to work tomorrow, we go here, we go wherever it is we go, our faith affirms that God is still there with us just the same. Sometimes we get caught in this idea that only true God stuff can happen when we're in here. Let me suggest to you, sisters and brothers, as we have the new year to look forward to from this day, that God is doing a lot of stuff out there. And you and I have to be able to learn to see it. You and I have to learn to be able to see that God shows up anywhere because God is already everywhere. If I were you, I'd write that one down because I'm going to forget I said that. And if God is everywhere, 
just like those wise men who worshiped there at that house, not a temple, that they bowed down, not at an altar, but at the feet of a baby, as a child, just as they realized that they could worship anywhere, you and I need to do the same. We can worship in a great way when we come together here. But what about when we leave? Can you worship when you leave here? Can you give God thanks the way you're able to give God thanks here, anywhere else? If not, if you have a hard time thinking about God's stuff when it's not Sunday or you're not in here, sisters and brothers, let the wise man lead you to the light as well. They come into the presence of the king and they realize something has happened and so... Something about them changes. Something about what they do changes. They're not only seeking anymore, they are worshiping and they are rejoicing. And I have a great story. Some of you may be familiar with this. At the beginning of the First World War, it was Christmas Day, and you had the German fighters and you had the English fighters. And on Christmas Day, I guess, you know, before then they had been shooting at each other. They had been at war with each other. But on Christmas Day, it didn't make sense to shoot each other. It didn't make sense to be at war with each other. And so we learned that on Christmas Day, this amazing thing happened that soldiers from one side and soldiers from another side, they all came together in what's called no man's land. And you know what they did there together as soldiers of opposing forces as enemies, as people who are at war on Christmas Day, they exchange gifts. The German says, we'll bring beer for you guys tomorrow. The English said, we'll bring food tomorrow. They broke out in caroling at some point, and then they began to play football. Not the good kind of football, but, you know, the kind you can't use your hands. The other kind of football, right? Because on Christmas Day, it didn't make sense that we should be at war with each other. And I want to suggest to you again that Jesus is not the reason for the season, that in fact you are the reason for the season. I am the reason for the season. Because I tend to be at war with you sometimes. You tend to be at war with me sometimes. We tend to be at each other sometimes. We needed the light We needed to see the face of God. We needed to know what peace looked like. And on Christmas, when we celebrate, we're not just celebrating that Christ came. We're not just saying Jesus is the reason. We are recognizing that we and our sin is the reason that Christ came to us. Put that on your sign on your lawn. I'm the reason for the season. See what your neighbors think about you after that. But we are the reason because Christ knew what we needed. And the prayer of our hearts should be, sisters and brothers, that when we recognize the light of God, finally, no matter how long it's taken us to get there, no matter what our journey has been like to get there, that just like the wise men, when we recognize that we have seen the light, we respond in the same way they did, with rejoicing and worship.
Now, I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. You would have never thought about this yourself. In 2017, God is good. See, the year changes for us, but God doesn't. Now, we change, but God doesn't. And in the glory of God's light, and in the never-changing faithfulness of God, we come to see the light of God with the hopes that now our hearts are ready to be changed. God is going to be just as good this year as God was last year. God's going to be just as good this year as God has ever been. There is going to be things that are worth celebrating and rejoicing over just like they were 2,000 years ago. Because God isn't going anywhere. And God has not decided it's time to stop working. So what you and I have to do, sisters and brothers, is with our heart and with our faith, be willing to see God and be willing to worship God whenever we are in the presence of God. And to be ready to offer our lives to God each day. And when you came in, you should have gotten a sheet just like this. If you did, would you go ahead and take that out? I'll explain to you what this is. The watch... New Year's Eve watch services were important for early Methodists as they closed a, an old year and anticipated the blessing of a new year. And in those watch services, uh, our brother John Wesley would uh, make a time when we can confess our sin to God, when we could uh, be ready to commit to God once again. And at the end of the service, he gave what we, come to, what we have come to call the Wesley Covenant Prayer. And I have here that prayer before you, and it's a little updated to match, uh, better match the way we speak. The old one is written like it was written in the 1700s, and we don't really speak that way, most of us, right? But what I would like you to do is just take a moment as you consider not only the new year, but as you consider the faithfulness of God, would you be ready to commit to offering your life to God once again? Read through that and see what, it, see what it's asking you to pray for. And I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer with me. I'm going to lead it and you read it, read it in your mind and make sense of the words. That's the people of God anticipating the fullness, the blessing of a new year. Let us pray together. I am not my own self-made, self-reliant human being. In truth, O oh God, I am yours. Make me into what you will. Make me a neighbor with those whom you will. Guide me on the easy path for you. Guide me on the rocky road for you. Whether I am to step up for you or step aside for you. Whether I am to be lifted high for you or brought low for you. Whether I become full or empty with all things or with nothing. I give all that I have and all that I am for you.
so be it. And may I always remember that you, O God, and I belong to each other. Amen. Amen. And what Wesley would tell us to do after we prayed that prayer is he would say, you know what? This is a covenant. And you need to remember that God has made the covenant with you and you are making a covenant with God. And so there'd be a line just like there is right now for participants to sign. And what I'm going to invite you to do, if that is a real prayer that you have made today, I'm going to ask you to sign it. You're not going to turn this in. This is yours. And so what will happen is you'll sign it and you'll keep it. Keep it somewhere where maybe you come across it, maybe in your Bible, maybe uh, somewhere on the refrigerator, so that when you see it again, you are reminded of the covenant that God has made with you, that you have made with God. And may it be that our Lord prepares us for the blessing of 2017. Amen? Yeah, amen.